Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> this is Deacon John and Joe, and uh, we're still in Advent, so, you know, you're looking at me like, what are we doing? I don't know, what do you want me to say? <laughs> well, the uh, I, I guess I'm a little awkward tonight, I'm a little nervous, because um, I had kind of a strange uh, event happen last Sunday. Oh, really? Last Sunday was uh, what we call in the church Gaudete. Pink Sunday. Sunday. Pink Sunday. And I bet you looked sparkling good in pink. You know, as a deacon, it was my first time in, in pink, and I was uh, mocked via text message by a 13-year-old girl. And that, that kind of brought me to an all-time low. She was making fun of me for wearing pink, and I said, it's rose. It's not pink. Wow. 13-year-old girl. Yeah, maybe 14 now. I don't know. It was uh, it was kind of embarrassing. Who is this girl, man, uh, her, calling you out? Her name is Antoinette. That's a lot of spunk. Her Antoinette? dad, her dad Ned, is the one who's making fun of us for always saying "man" and "dude," and they're they're good friends. That's funny. So she I can got get a, away with. This I got stuff. an email from Antoinette. Is it the it, same one? The same one. Golish. Check. Yeah. <laughs> Antoinette Golish. Yeah. Here, let me read it. Hold I hope a it's okay. Uh, all right. This is from Antoinette. Uh, Dear John and Deacon Joe, I'm 14 years old. Oh, 14, sorry. John. And absolutely love these podcasts. So much fun to listen to. John, you look awesome in pink. My family and I listen... uh, She didn't didn't write that, yeah. My family and I listen to them all the time. They're one of the few podcasts my dad listens to that doesn't put me to sleep. That's (laughs) awesome. Um, I don't don't know if that's a compliment. The... uh, no, that's great. Uh, you know, Antoinette, though, I thought this doesn't have to do with our topic tonight, but uh, do you know why the priest wears rose? Joe, this is actually a good question for you as well, as a young Padawan, first theologian. I think we talked about this last time. Do you know why? Did we talk about the color rose? The color rose, it's about rejoicing, isn't it? Well, no, but it's got deeper significance than that. Rose is the color you get when you blend purple and white. White. It's like glimpsing the, the Christmas white during the purple Advent season, oh. the season of penance, the season of repentance, and all of a sudden we kind of glimpse the joy of Christmas, which is reflected in the liturgical white. Wow, kind of cool. Huh? That is like taken to a whole nother. I learned that in my level. the homily. I was uh, at mass this weekend. Father Leonard told me that. I was like, no yeah, way. That's kind of cool. So there you go. So Antoinette, it's Rose. Okay, just lay off. It's a little sensitive. So. Well, she wasn't only critical. She says. Uh, she said it's crazy. It's crazy. How much there is to learn. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh-huh. Now uh, this this podcast though is not dedicated uh to Antoinette. it's dedicated to some other girls two others uh two other girls named the indigo girls indigo girls very dear to my heart they are now you have to be probably over at least over the age of 25 to know the indigo girls because they're getting pretty outdated not but they, necessarily my little sister is all about the indigo girls really? i mean she just loves her music the harmonies well they have a song called uh, galileo so pertinent whose head was on the block as <laughs> looking up the truth and <laughs> crime was what was his name time Time? Someone else was looking up the truth. His crime was looking up oh, the truth. Oh, I don't really listen to lyrics. Okay. Yeah. So. I mean, I don't know if the new girls knew what they were talking about with Galileo, but if they didn't, they can listen to this podcast to find out. I'm sure they will, and I'm sure they'll be deeply edified by this, what you're about to tell us about Galileo. I'm sure they're like top of our list as far I as I thought Galileo was already, didn't we already do this topic, like five, top five Catholic? Uh, <laughs> we did. That was like a month ago. Yeah. No, I think we mentioned how we were going to do a Galileo podcast because uh. it was, in fact, I didn't, I didn't add him to the list if I remember because I was like, he's kind of his own, his own animal. You know, that's, and enough people have been like, "Hey, you should do one on Galileo. You should do one on Galileo." That's so good like, because you, know you usually will. get these emails, and we really do write down the list of everything when people recommend them. We will do them eventually, but this is probably the first time we've ever followed through. So. <laughs> one of the first for so sure. Keep but keep keep uh, reminding us, keep on us about that. It's so. awesome. So Galileo, um, it's great. 
it's such a huge topic. We hear him all the time. I mean, this is Indigo Girls are writing songs about him. He, what he's known for ultimately is relationship with the church and science. And when you mix the two, I mean, that's what people think. Like, oh, what happened to Galileo? How persecuted he was by the church for just, you know, looking up the truth. Right. And he was on the block, all these things, you know. Now you're just quoting the Indigo Girls. <laughs> I remember being on a plane one time and ex- trying to explain to somebody, you know, I'm saying to be a Catholic priest. And that was one of those things. It always sounds like, it's always like this. Well, what about Galileo? And right. it's like, well, what about Galileo? What about Galileo? And then they're like, well, this, it, you just showed that the church hates science. And I was like, okay, you know, there's got to be more to it. So maybe you can kind of inform us. Exactly. On so this is what we're going to talk about. We don't have time to go into like all the science and everything behind it. But what I really want to focus on is what, what, what were the main issues? What happened at the trial? How was he, what was his sentence or whatever? What, what exactly happened? What went down okay. in those days? Um, Give it to me. Galileo, obviously most people know him. He's a huge, incredibly famous scientist, inventor brilliant mind uh he was really doing his stuff at the beginning of the 1600s that was when he was beginning of the 1600s okay exactly so um just to kind of set the stage for this um the main doctrine that he was questioned for by the church was his uh proposal of copernicus's theory of geocentrism geocentrism oh i'm sorry no no, no. heliocentrism no, like, i'm already whoa, messing it up was like a, heliocentrism see, catholics do hate science <laughs> exactly <laughs> No, heliocentrism, meaning that the sun is the center of the of the solar system. But that wasn't his discovery. That was Copernicus. Which, just, what Copernicus. was that, about 100 years? I think like 300 years 300 before. 300 years before. I think it was the 1300s. Okay. Um, so real quick, let's go into this. Copernicus, um, when he uh, when he talked about the earth being the center, uh, or I'm sorry, the earth not being the center of the solar system and the sun being the center of the solar system, this is a huge thing. I mean, because in astronomy, there hadn't been anything... Nothing had changed in like 1,300 years. Right. There was a Ptolemy was in the, I think, the first century. He was a Greek guy. He came up with the system. I thought he was Egyptian, but okay. but yeah. uh, That could be right. <laughs> don't quote me on that. No, in fact, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, he, his system that he came up with, which was geocentric, the earth being the center, everything going around the, the earth, that was a system at work. And that made sense. And that conformed with what a lot of people took to be in scripture. So and, when we say this, the... You know, when you're saying that everything's revolving around the, the earth, that comes from Ptolemy, and it lasted for about 1,500, 1,600 yeah, yeah. years. No, okay. Yeah, 1,200 years, 1,300 years. Okay. It was for a while, and no, nobody had done – there wasn't really much going on in astronomy. Um, you know, people were sticking with his system for the most right. part. Um, and Copernicus came up with the system, and he was a good Catholic man, worked for the church. He was a canon, um, but he came up with a system that he thought explained things much better um, – explain because there are things with Ptolemy's system that just didn't work there was, right. they'd make predictions they'd be a little off and just some things weren't where they were supposed to be and he was basically it was convention it was something that people it wasn't people didn't accept it as this is the way it actually is it's just like but it was kind of like this this is good for, useful for making predictions okay. about where this star is going to be where this planet is going to be and so you know this is why it works we don't really know there wasn't a lot of like how exactly is this set up okay and Copernicus had a proposal that he thought explained some things that wouldn't be explained in Ptolemy's thing, in Ptolemy's theory. Um, and the reason there was a conflict is because of some lines in Scripture. Um, because if you have the earth moving, this was problematic for people in the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, 1600s. Right. Because uh, there's lines like like the following in the Psalm. Psalm 93 says, you know, God has made the world firm not to be moved. And Psalm 104 says, he's laid the foundations of the earth not to be moved forever. And Ecclesiastes talks about the sun rising and going down and pressing onto the place where it rises. And so, because of the precedence of this um, astro- this system, this kind of approach to astronomy, they were using it to interpret scriptures accordingly. 
or they were kind of right. There was um, kind of an interplay. It was it was it was conformed with scripture. With scripture, it was okay. lining up. You know, this is what science is telling us of the day, and scripture seems to be confirming that. Seems so to be. exactly. Yeah. So there wasn't that was kind of what people thought. Okay. Um, so this is just kind of setting the stage right. for this. Um, is that your way of stop asking questions? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's a lot to go through here. I'm like John, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so. Uh, so anyway, this is kind of the stage, and Copernicus's theory was he, he wasn't a big name or anything when he was alive. He died, and it was published after he died, and some people knew about it. Anyway, Galileo was really into Copernicus, and he took this, and he was like, this is a great thing. So in 1650 or 15, he went to Rome to advocate for this and say, this is something that actually makes a lot of sense. He's a young scientist. He has a telescope. He, I don't know if he invented a telescope, but he actually made one. He, he might have heard about it from somewhere else. Anyway, he got a telescope. He had a telescope. One of the first people to have one. It'd be a Christmas present. Looking at the, yeah, from Walmart, I think. <laughs> um, he started looking at the skies and coming up with these observations that really seemed to confirm Copernicus's theory. So uh, he went to Rome, advocated for this. And this would have been a pastoral, if, if this was changed, if the church kind of changed its interpretation of this, this would have been like a pastoral bombshell. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about why. There's a guy, uh, Robert Bellarmine, right. who was a great diplomat for the Vatican, and went, you know, and he sat down with Galileo to talk about this. And they had a meeting about it, and basically the result of the meeting was that Galileo agreed not to advocate for Copernicus's theory anymore. And what, what Bellarmine said is that he said, the church was not going to change its interpretation of these passages about the earth not being moved at all. Um, it's not going to change its interpretation of these passages unless Galileo could prove Copernicus's theory was true. Okay. And Galileo basically said, you know, I don't know if I can prove it because there was another model, Tycho Brahe. He's a whole other story. Um, interesting guy. Um, but and, Tycho, a, and a cool name, too. Tycho Brahe. Tycho Brahe. Real quick thing on Tycho. He actually lost his nose in a duel, had a big brass nose, and he died because he couldn't hold his bladder long enough, and his bladder exploded because he had to hold it. So, Wait a minute. What did that have to do with the nose? Nothing. It was just some interesting facts about Tycho Brahe, and he was a, you know astronomer crazy anyway that's totally aside <laughs> um so bellarmine anyway sits down with galileo and says hey we're not going to change our interpretation of this unless you can prove it and galileo's like i don't know because brahe's theory right. uh he couldn't disprove that that seemed to also line up and i don't need to go into that but basically what bellarmine was concerned with is this is that whenever you have a when something changes in the church it's a big pastoral issue right i mean we see this with the vatican council i was talking to keith kenny a friend of ours in the seminary and keith was telling me that his grandmother was raised to think that was raised and taught that eating meat on a Friday was a mortal sin. You just don't do it. Right. And so, in the Vatican Council, a lot of our pastoral our practices in the church changed after the council. Eating meat on Fridays is one of the things that isn't a requirement anymore um, to not eat meat, fat, abstain from meat. And but she just couldn't she couldn't accept it. You know, she right, just was right. it was so ingrained so in her mind. Ways. This is the way the church is. This is the way church teaches, and that's just an example. I mean, and where there are a lot of things that change in the church after Vatican II. But this is one of those things. When when things change, people get suspect, and they don't. They're not. It's not easy. To, you don't want to change something unless you know this is the direction you're going to go. It's interesting because in a we can't really get our heads around this because in a Catholic culture it gets so steeped into the life of the people that theological change like a theological interpretation of scripture like that would be involved with the copernican revolution right, right. we don't get that because we don't live in a catholic cult. we're not so steeped in it but for keith's grandma i mean it would have been such mm-hmm. an intensely important part of the culture and the life Absolutely. and to be able to kind of move beyond that um it's a huge, huge and even thing. more so even more so for the people in the 1600s where the church was so wrapped up with politics was so wrapped up with the culture every right. single town the church was the center of the town right. 
center of education. I mean, this was a huge thing. So Bellarmine basically said, we're not going to change the interpretation unless you can prove it. Galileo says, okay. So he lays low for about 20 years. Anyway, five years later, Robert Bellarmine dies. Saint Robert Bellarmine. Actually, right? doctor of the church, Robert yeah, Bellarmine. So he's, he's a big deal. He's yeah. a saintly man. And the Pope also dies. And so about 12 years after that, Galileo, been laying low for a while, publishes a book, uh, his dialogues, he called it. And it's overwhelmingly pro-Copernican, like just putting it forth. Right. And so right away, uh, they bring him to Rome. And because Galileo is kind of a big name, he's right. making other – this is going to be effective. Uh, you know, people are going to be reading this, and it's going to be contradicting what the church's teachings seem to be saying. So they bring him in. That's, this is the start. This is what – everything's leading up to the trial at this but point. But the important thing is to say, is it is it contradicting church teaching, i.e. doctrine, or is it contradicting – interpretation exactly of and, that, and that's really the crux of the issue here and basically long story short he goes on trial he gets condemned uh and he gets sentenced and they find him and this is the sen- this is what we're going to talk about this is the important things because people say oh they were so you know bad to galileo and persecuted him all these things this is what happened okay so the general charge against galileo was this that he believed and held and this is what it says the doctrine which is false and contrary to the sacred and divine scriptures that the sun is the center of the world and does not move from east to west and that the earth moves and is not the center of the world. So they're basically saying he is, he believes and holds this. That's his charge. And he was guilty. And this is, this is the interesting thing. He wasn't found guilty of heresy. Yeah. And this is what people say. That's oh, very important. And they excommunicated him. He was found guilty of heresy. No, this is actually the literal uh, sentence that he received was he was judged as vehemently suspected of heresy. Hmm. That was his, that was his sentence. That was what he got convicted for. Um, and additionally, and this is important to remember, too, because this isn't, uh, oh, well, I'll get into this, but uh, this is not an infallible thing. Um, this is basically what he was suspected of heresy for, saying that, uh, you know, the earth is not the center of the, the world. Um, that's actually not even something heretical to hold, because it's not something that the Copernican theory had never been declared false by an infallible authority. Right. And this is the other thing that gets tossed around with the Galileo thing. It's a proof that, like, oh, the church isn't infallible. The church isn't right about everything. Because look at Galileo. Right, you know, right, they right. said that he was wrong for believing this, and they screwed that up. So, you know, then I can, you know, then contraception, you know, the church doesn't know what they're talking about with that either. Exactly. You know? So we, we make this transfer, and this uh, from uh, issues such as Galileo to faith and morals. When we talk about a fallib- infallible statement, uh, the Pope being infallible, meaning he can't err in, in any statements he makes, it's not any statements. It's only statements he makes, uh, formerly ex cathedra, as it says, regarding faith and morals. Right. And this is that, that's very important to remember as Catholics that when we talk about infallibility, um, we're to always talking about things that have to do with faith and morals. If right. it's something outside of that, it's always good to listen to the church and pay attention to what the church is saying. But it's not a moral a moral act to uh, veer from the church's teaching on something that has nothing to do with faith and morals. Right. Um, and, and it's important to keep that in mind, to keep that distinction there, uh, but also to listen to the church as a mother. And the church doesn't say things lightly uh, without, even regarding stuff like science. And it says what she says for a reason. Right. And I think, you know, the church is is the guardian of the God's self-disclosure of his revelation. And it, uh, it does not mean that the church makes t- statements about uh, scientific matters. Mm-hmm. But as we've talked about this semester, like remember, go back to that creation and evolution one. There is a certain point where there is an engagement of faith and science, and uh, that's where this gets kind of sticky, because it can it can go only go so far, but it do, they do affect each other. They do kind of interplay. And that seems to be it's kind true. of what's at work here. It's a, it's absolutely true. It's exactly what it is because this is the issue when you have an apparent incompatibility between the Catholic faith and science. 
um, it's only an apparent incompatibility. You know there's a there is a deep unity between faith and science because at the heart of them they both have the same source, which right. who is God, who is right. truth itself. So whenever we see an incompatibility, we have to think, okay, either the science might be need to be interpreted differently or Maybe the revelation we have needs to be interpreted differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is the case where the revelation needs to be interpreted differently. The, these, these passages we have from the scripture, uh, we were taking as a literal interpretation, right. which, um, and the church wasn't ready to make that switch. And this is the interesting, interesting thing about this, because people talk about, <clears throat> um, you know, who are against the church or against religion and see it as threatening to science. We'll bring up Galileo and, you know, like we said, but the, the interesting thing is they don't agree with Galileo. When people were like, no, keep faith and science totally apart because they are incompatible, they're not agreeing with Galileo. They're agreeing with the people who are persecuting Galileo. Right. Because the, the individuals who were in the church at that time persecuting Galileo were the ones saying, we don't care what science is saying. We don't care what your evidence says. This is incompatible with scripture. Right. And right. the two, we don't care. If it's science or faith, we're going to choose faith. And that you always get into trouble. When you want to make this dualism between reason and and faith, you're always going to, the two are always going to be together. And you so have to we f- can say that part of the problem was the approach of theologians in the church at the time who didn't have this understanding of the relationship of faith and reason, the understanding of science and theology. Yeah, it was, there's a lot of things going on here. I mean, you have to remember too, this is the early 1600s. This is right around the time of the Protestant Reformation. Right, the right. church is kind of in shambles. It's right. getting threatened from all sides. You have one of the big scientists of the day coming out against the church is apparently coming out against the church and there's a real and there's the whole pastoral issue we talked about with Bellarmine who's saying you know we can't change this interpretation lightly we have to do that we have to have, we have to be really clear and conscientious and uh, decisive if right. we're going to do this right. um, so there's a lot of factors at work and maybe well intentioned maybe not and from the accounts we have uh, Galileo, although I think he was a good man, and I think he had, his heart was in the right place, he was a little bit cocky, and he was also like when he won in an argument, he like tore you to pieces and like you know like slapped your mother in the face, kind yeah, of like. Exactly. And he was, and that's just how he was. Um, so he probably didn't not to excuse the people who uh, who unjustly uh, persecuted him in this way, but he might have egged them on a little bit. But let's talk about this unjust persecution because the really it really wasn't as bad as people make it to sound. Galileo was not excommunicated. For one, there's no evidence from the readings that we have regarding the trial that any kind of language like that was used at all. What happened is he was turned over after his sentencing of being, he was sentenced of being, you know, vehemently suspected of heresy. Right. Which isn't even that decisive in itself. Uh, He was turned over to the care of the Archbishop of Siena, who was a really close friend of his. And he was told to, he was encouraged to rest and regain his spirit. And after several months of being with him, he was permitted to return to his country home near Florence. So that was it. And that was it. And he, and they said he, you can't talk, you can't propose this theory of Copernicus anymore. And Galileo, he was an old, frail man at the time, and, and he didn't... I mean, I, I don't know if he did or he didn't, but regardless of what he did, whatever happened, happened. Like, his stuff got published, and it was proposed. Right. Um, but, uh, and he was... He, he died in union with the church. He wasn't like... You know, he probably hated some people in the church for yeah, no kidding. Um, what he did. But it wasn't like he was tortured. He wasn't shown weapons of torture, like some people will say. Um, there is... That, this is important to keep in mind. Um, but the interesting thing, he has a line just kind of talking about how this unity of faith in Scripture and how the people who try to push away religion from the church aren't on Galileo's side. Uh, they're on his opponent's side. And right. it's interesting how Galileo now, he would actually be more thinking with the church. He has this quote. He says, uh, if Scripture cannot err, and this is what he believed. He believed Scripture could not err. He, he, but he did say, Scripture cannot err, but certain of its interpreta- interpreters and commentators can 
and they do err in many ways. Beautiful. Which and is that's, really that's cool. Right that's exactly that's yeah. exactly what the church. But the problem about. is now people are using Galileo to try and show that the scripture is not. The scripture, the scripture does error. Not compatible. Not compatible. It's, not, it's fallible. The Pope's not fallible because they screwed up with Galileo. I just don't know if he'd be down with that. <laughs> it's true. I don't think so. I think Galileo would be like, whoa, let's sure. calm down. My head's not on the block. Yeah, so so what girls. you're saying is that Galileo's head was not on the block. It was not on the block. And His crime was not looking up the truth. Uh, well, you know, maybe it yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, um, it's it's an important thing to it's an important thing to know. It's an important thing to kind of have at least know the situation and what was going on and to understand the church's thought although she's not she's not perfect when it comes to how to bring the truth that she's received that is infallible to the world and practical application and she you know there's stuff in our history like this that's kind of ugly and kind of like but it's not as ugly as people make it sound absolutely and it's and it's not saying that the church is erred or that scriptures are errant anything like that uh, i think this is really that's great by the way i learned a couple things there but the uh um, that's one of the big five, I'd say. You got to know Galileo. You gotta, People are going to stick it, it to you if you're a Catholic. Uh, it's just one of those things you hear, and you got to just be aware of this is what we did. These are the mistakes that people in the church made, but the church did not err fundamentally. The church is not against science, and that's what we're trying to hammer kind of constantly. So, mm-hmm. good work, Joe. Thanks, man. And we. Uh we have email, but we actually already read our email for the day. We so. read our email from uh, Antoinette. Antoinette, thank you. Antoinette, thank you. Antoinette, um, you know, be nice. Be nice to people in rows. Antoinette, I guess that'd be our parting words. And, um, you know, if you have any kind of comments, suggestions, thoughts, concerns, critiques, we got a lot of comments about marijuana last week. Those were great. We'll awesome probably talk stuff. about those maybe next week. But, um, this is also our last podcast for Christmas. So. It is. So have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And uh, we will see you not, we'll see you again before the new year, but after Christmas. Sounds so we'll good. be out of happy Advent as it comes to a close. And we'll talk to you soon.